Hello and welcome to another episode of Tell Great Stories, the podcast that looks back at some of Unbound Theatre's past projects and productions. For this episode, we are discussing Funny Voices, which was performed in May this year, 2021, as the reopening production at the Limelight Theatre at Unbound's home, Queen's Park Arts Centre. Later on, we'll be chatting to the cast, which I was lucky enough to be a part of. But to begin with, we're going to talk to two creatives who worked on the show behind the scenes. So over to them to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Dario and I was the writer and director of the show. Hello, I'm Matt and I was the sound designer and composer-arranger for the production. Right, thank you very much and welcome the pair of you. Right, so Dario, what motivated you to create a character from the world of music hall style theatre? Was Was it based on someone you knew or was there something that made an impression of you? What was, what was the inspiration to write the play? Uh... Well, Joyce isn't based on someone I knew particularly, um, because I'm not that old. Um, I just feel I should point that out. Uh, she, just to be clear, um, she sort of comes... Sounds like someone who's old would say that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm only 67. Um, no, Joyce comes from a sort of a long-standing fascination for stories about storytellers, really. I'm a sucker for documentaries about you know famous actors or writers or directors um oh. and i like watching or reading stuff you know behind the scenes stuff as well so i've accrued a fair bit of knowledge over the years about performers of joyce's era um and i find them really fascinating because their their careers span such an influential part of the history of comedy and entertainment in britain um you know they kind of came in at the tail end of music hall and variety through the golden age of radio and British film and the Ealing comedies and that sort of thing. And then into the early sitcoms like Hancock. Um, But a lot of them tend to get pigeonholed for just sort of one aspect of their career. So someone like Hattie Jakes, who is one of the influences and inspirations for Joyce was, she was the most brilliant actress, really versatile, but sort of only gets recognized for the carry on films. And I was going to say, I immediately thought of Carry On films yeah. as soon as you said her name. And she is brilliant in them. They're, those are really well cast. You can say what you like about the Carry Ons and perhaps should, given some of the content. But <laughs> they're always really well performed. Um, but she's one of those actors, a bit like Kenneth Williams, who had such a, an eclectic career outside of those films. Mm. But no one ever really talks about that aspect of them. So they're slightly misremembered, I think. Um, and I suppose sort of the notion of wanting to tell the story of that generation of actors and get inside their heads a little bit was always an idea waiting to get out because I'd watched so much about them um Mm. and the trigger that self-joyce's sort of story in particular was a there's a quote about Peter Cook who's obviously a slightly younger generation than Joyce but he was reported to have said when he was asked about his need for therapy that he'd been playing other people for so long he'd forgotten who he was himself um and sort of from there Joyce grew really oh interesting now Matt talk us through because you did all the sound and all the bits and pieces for us so can you talk us through your first reaction to the script when joining the project as composer and sound designer what what appealed most to you about it well I'm starting to learn by now 
that whenever Dario asks me to just put a couple of songs and some sound effects together for a show, <laughs> that's Ooh. always a vast under underrepresentation of what it's going to going to be. <laughs> and this was no exception. I mean, oh no, he's <laughs> on to me. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, I'd 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 got into the 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 sort of music hall kind of genre um, when we did the Snow Queen. Uh, was largely in that sort of theme and I'd done another one for, for Inspector Murder so I kind of looked over the script and went okay you know, a couple of songs those are okay oh we've got canned laughter I've never <laughs> done canned laughter before and you know it's a it's a it's a proper production where you know every every couple of seconds somebody's got to go ooh ah ha ha oh yeah and but I, I have to say the thing that really got me was this idea that there was some kind of noise that was going to come in and out and it would be sort of built into the way everything else was happening. And in times it had to be insistent or it had to blot everything else out or otherwise it was sort of on the edge of, of hearing. And... You know, I'm a big fan of using sound to create atmosphere because you can you can put people on edge, you can tell a bit of a story, you can make a place warm or cold just by the sound. And it really seemed like the sound was going to be integral to this. And it would really sort of give a window into what was happening in Joyce's head. And, you know, quite apart from anything, I really enjoy anything where I don't have to be strictly realistic and I can start making noise. And of course... Yeah, I got to make a huge thump and a bang at the end, so that's always a plus. <laughs> so nice, yeah, combination of creative and then just loud noises at the end. Is that the plan? Yeah, always, always just make it louder, louder, grittier, and grander. <laughs> Dario, what was the thinking behind reopening the Limelight Theatre with funny voices? Uh... I think in my head, I always wanted Unbound to reopen the limelight because we were the last group to perform there before the first lockdown with um, Three Tall Women, our production of that. So it seemed appropriate that we kind of bookended the closure, I think. Um, and Unbound had been really important to Queen's Park during the lockdowns. Sort of 90% of the content that was created was through Unbound projects. So I think it was kind of justified that we got to be there to, you know, the big fanfare that we were back. Um I mean, Funny Voices wasn't written to be the reopening show, I have to say. Um, it was written because it was one of those ideas that had percolated for long enough that it just felt like the right time to write it. Um, so the original plan, I think I'm right in saying, was that we thought we'd do this as a live stream some point before mm. theatres could reopen and we'd stream it online and then we'd put on a kind of review for the big reopening with a, a huge cast so that everyone could come back. Um and then two things changed the idea, really, or the plan. Um, one was it became apparent that a huge cast was never going to work in terms of being COVID secure and risk averse. So we had to change tack there. And then secondly, I think the more we worked on Funny Voices as a as a company, the more we all felt like this needs to be performed with an audience, um, you know, mm. there in the room. Um, and it's fitting, really. I think given the play says quite a bit about the relationship between performers and audiences it, it kind of thematically fits as the comeback show um and also uh if i'm honest I, I think given how central erica was to a lot of the content we created during lockdown or the lockdowns plural um and and given she has a you know a lifelong link with with the venue with the limelight theater it was only right that she be there front and center 
when we reopened so yeah it wasn't the original plan but i think the the longer we went on prepping it the more it felt right uh matt hmm. how do you build up uh, a soundscape or, or sound effects for a show i mean how many raw elements do you draw on for some of the um unusual sounds that we have well <laughs> See, nobody is... look at matt's search history <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went through this when when we did um, Far Away and I started looking up, up, you know, Screaming Rabbits. But the thing is that, <laughs> yeah, still one of my finest pieces. But the thing is, if you, you know, beyond all the creative uh, weird noises, you know, it's really no surprise for anyone who knows me. I start with a spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think Funny Voices ended up with something like 65 different sound cues. Wow. And, you know, you really have to lay them all out in front of you and work out how many of them you can get away with reusing, what you absolutely have to create from scratch, and, you know, kind of looking at the scale of it. I mean, I usually start by doing the music because that's the bit that takes me ages. I'm very much more a composer than a musician, so quite a lot of what you hear is done note by note till it's right. Mm. But then the sound effects can be quite a lot of fun and yeah I, I i don't really have a lot of limits on where i can get them from yeah i've i've built up a library over the last few years of sound effects but they all tend to be fairly generic um and odd things like all audience noise is surprisingly hard to do right because you can't just mm. fade it up and fade it out because it doesn't sound natural when you do that and of course, it's very hard to find audience noise starting and stopping without somebody talking over the top or the end of a music or whatever else. Oh, so, okay. you know, apart from the, the generic cheers and yays and ahs, you know, how hard is it to find a clean sample of an audience go convincingly going, ooh, because they all sound like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and there's, there's one of the pieces, it's... Uh, where there's a crowd and they're all, all cheering on, don't tell him indoors. Well, mm. that's me in 10 different voices go, don't tell him indoors. Don't tell him indoors. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's, just, that's just me layering the whole thing over and over because how else that's am I going to do it? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, there's, there's so many tools. I mean, the noise itself is made up about, of about three different sounds and they're all synthesized together. So when you change pitch, they all start phasing out of out of time. You know, the tin bath is actually a drum sample of a gong that's slowed down and chopped up. Um, there may actually be a defibrillator um, somewhere in there, but yeah, it's it's all about having having an ear for what you can get away with. In a way, you know, mm. it's very easy to get away with things if you've got an audience murmuring in the background. But, you know, you've also got to be able to break down the sound into the components. And then, of course, you've got to assemble all this into something that an operator can use. And that was a major challenge because of how everything had to blend and happen very rapidly. But I was incredibly impressed at how well it all synced up you know, with the lights and the sound and everything else on when, when I actually saw it. Oh, brilliant. Um, now, Dario, nice segue here into talking about the syncing up. Um, so working with Stefan Medhurst, our lighting and sound technician to design the show, the sort of what Matt was saying about the lights and various different cues and things. So how does the process work 
Um, and how was it working with pyrotechnics for the first time as well? Um, well, I didn't get to play with the pyrotechnics, which I thought was quite disappointing. Um, Stefan was very professional and wouldn't let me have the keys to the box she used to fire them. Um, which probably sums up our professional working relationship quite well, actually. Um, <laughs> Did you threaten to fire him? <laughs> <laughs> Pyro pun. Um, uh, I mean, they were, they was brilliant. They were a really good addition to the final scene of pyrotechnics where... Um, spoiler alert uh joyce dies on stage during a performance um so you've had this as matt uh, said this noise which kind of permeates through the show it keeps coming in and out and we eventually realize it's a defibrillator and it uh shocks her at the end of the performance you have this huge moment this great crash of sound and lights and then the pyrotechnics go off um but they weren't part of the original plan it was just going to be the lights and sound and erica obviously on stage giving a, a hell of a performance um, but as we were putting it together, we thought, actually, do you know what? That's sort of like the cherry on the icing of the cake because it gives it a nice added sense of shock. And uh, I don't think anyone was quite expecting it, even though we did have to put up signs because you're legally obliged to tell people. Mm. But luckily, people never bother to read these signs. Um, you know, we put them everywhere on doors and windows and everything. and No <laughs> one reads them. So people were genuinely shocked when it happened, which was fantastic. Well, I, mean, um, I, even, I even thought it was I, th- I see a sign and I just assumed it was a strobe. Yes. Nobody expects explosions. Mm. No, actual pyros. Um, And it was set up to look as though two of the lighting units had blown, which um, I'm sure people could have believed if if they knew the limelight very well. Um, But we don't usually use pyros, uh, to be honest. It's usually expense because Queen's Park doesn't have the kind of budgets that will allow for them. But I think because... Uh, nowhere had been ordering them for for 14 months because everyone had shut down, they were on sale. So we could afford a whole load of them and, uh, and, and a good thing too. So yeah, that was good fun. And I so say the, the audience reaction was really brilliant because they weren't expecting it. Um, working with Stefan, uh, I mean, we've been working together for the best part of a decade now. Uh, he was the technician on the first show I ever did at Queen's Park before Unbound came to be. I was a stage manager and he was the techie. So we've worked on dozens of shows and, um, and it's brilliant working with him. It really is. Uh, don't tell him I said that, obviously. Um, <laughs> the um, the process of working together is really collaborative, actually. Um, so I go through the script and work out all the different lighting states that I need and what specials I need, like the spotlights, or in this case, there were quite a few lights that flashed at certain points when Joyce was having a, a slightly out-of-body experience. Um, and then I also figure out a, a colour scheme. So yeah, we, we get together and we go through it pretty much page by page going through each queue and what's nice is that because we've worked together for for so long now is that um we obviously have a shorthand of working together and it's really collaborative so stefan is brilliant at translating my ideas into practical setups and i mean in the last sort of eight years i don't think i've ever made one suggestion that he's not been able to make happen Mm. so that is obviously great as a director but also he brings a lot of his own ideas to it and, and elevates whatever you're doing so uh he can bring his own creativity and that's fun because actually just sort of dictating it to someone is kind of boring um and he's he's one of the unsung heroes of of unbound really and queen's park in general um very much like his brother andrew and his dad raymond um they're like the tech firm so i i dread to think where we'd be without them really as technicians i'm sure the building would probably fall down (laughs) so that's kind of how we did with the lighting it's very organic process the sound matt had mixed and gotten ready for us on a on a macbook on a program called QLab. So that just kind of came across and uh, Stefan had a, a very fully marked up tech script, which is very unusual because normally he just gets me 
I give him a script that I've sort of scribbled on, um, whereas this was all formatted and everything. So Matt had done a lot of the work. Um, and then it was just building that up, really, and working through the script and figuring out where we needed to bring in all the cues. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it was, although it's a much shorter play than the stuff we normally do, it is it is technically pretty challenging because, as Matt said, the sound layers up. It's not simply a case of hitting one cue and letting it play out, particularly in that ending sequence where you have all of Joyce's all of her funny voices coming in and there's a sort of drone noise it's building like in a sort of orchestral sort of um it's like a sort of rumble isn't it that builds up to this yeah. almighty final crash mm. um and the lights are all going nuts and then you've got pyrotechnics and everyone shouting so it took quite a long time the tech rehearsal was probably longer than i think we thought it was going to be but uh you know the results hopefully speak for themselves yeah and certainly from my side i knew that if i delivered it to him in a format that he was familiar with he'd be able to work with it and make any changes that were, ne- were needed so all yeah. i had to do was you know, deliver the piece and come come and watch yes it was the the shoebox arrived it was very good all the technology was in the shoebox <laughs> <laughs> a very queen's park solution <laughs> anytime Well, after a quick game of musical chairs, I am going to take over hosting duties for the next part of the episode. So, Dario's still with us. We're joined by two members of the cast who will now introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Erica and I played Jolly Joyce Burrows. Hello, I am still Katie and I played (laughs) less Jolly Tilly Burrows. Awesome. Good to have you with us. Right, back to you, Dario. Funny Voices originally began began life as somewhat of a different project, as we've heard. I mean, how did the first version of the story come to be? I mean, and yeah, you know, Erica, what did you think of the monologue when you first received the script? So uh, yeah, as you say, it sort of first arrived as a monologue. Um, I mean, the very first ideas I had about the character who became Joyce, she didn't have a name to start with. Um, they were always uh, it was always a theatrical idea. It was always the idea that this would be a play. And it would make a good it would make a good concept for a play the idea of this character who's been an entertainer so long she's um you know lost herself was always a theatrical idea since I first started come up with it, coming up with it which was i think right at the start of 2020 i think it was january that year um but then we ended up having rather a lot to do after march the 23rd so uh, i didn't do a lot with the idea and it went on to the fabled one day i'll revisit this pile then a few months later, Erica asked me to write her a monologue for, it was the Ragged Foils podcast, yep. I think. And um, it was it was a thank you on my part, really, for all the work she'd done for the first uh, Professor Chronomia audiobook and all, lots of other Unbound projects like the Sonnets, bringing in new actors. And the first script that I came up with, uh, Erica actually managed to sell to a completely different <laughs> podcast. So I, um, I owed her two favours. And I thought, well, I, you know, I, I should still write something for this Ragged Falls project. At which point Joyce came to mind again, because it was something that would work really well on audio if you had her giving a monologue. And it's it's basically a condensed version of the play, but focusing on her career rather than her family relationship. So all of the same uh, story beats about her life on stage and then radio and film and television and the characters that she meets, they're all there in the play and they're all there in the monologue. Uh, and it was it worked for audio because you could have so many different accents and and things. So it's a it's a a perfect audio concept. Um and and yeah, eventually it kind of 
as I said before, one of those projects that once had started writing it and done it as a monologue, it then was sort of crying out to be expanded into a full play, which is what the original original idea was. Yeah. And so when you received that, Erica, how what was your reaction? It was it was a complete gift as as an actor. Like I say, um, I mean, I lockdown was happening and I was trying to get myself involved as a lot of actors were at the time desperately trying to get myself involved with as many audio projects and as many audio companies as possible. And when I read it, it was just a beautiful gift. I mean, it, the script was written just straight as a straight uh, like one shot piece. And as I'm going through it, she's talking about all of the people that she's met in her career. And I just thought, oh, my God, I can do different accents. I can show myself off as an actor here. <laughs> and And the fact that she was old to start with and um i th- there was no direction there was there was nothing in the script as to what the sound of these voices were and um quite often i get asked you know how do you pick because i'm i'm known for doing different voices for for different audio shows and i get asked a lot say well how do you pick the right voice for the right character and i said well some the clues are always going to be there in the script and and reading reading the monologue, I think I remember in the very very first line, it's, it it says, "Hello, is 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 this is this thing on?" And it says, "I've been asked to do something for this podcatch thing," and and it just naturally sort of came out when I was reading. It says, "Oh, is this thing on?" Hello, testing. Oh, right. Well, I've been asked to record this for uh, oh, some sort of podcatch thing. I'm not really sure. Young American chaps asked me. And and from there, it just sort of developed. And then with each character that was brought in, it was like, right, I've got to do another voice. Because immediately she starts talking about the director who's asked her to do this podcast thing, um, the interview. Um, so then it was uh, an American voice. And then it, it goes through all the different people. And then... Um, I think it was something uh, that the the film director that she works with, um, again, there wasn't any detail about him, um, only the fact that he was known as the Rocket. And and I made him Scottish because uh, it was like, right, uh, so come on, like, get this moving together. We've got to get the horses. And, uh, and he's kind of quite um, uh, irate director. And then when I got the the full script, he's actually given a name. And I was rather rather happy that Dario had made him Scottish. He was called Arthur McPherson. <laughs> um, uh, I don't because I don't think he was. I, I don't think he was. His name was mentioned in the in the original. I don't think his name was mentioned in the original monologue. It probably is now, and I've got that completely wrong. Um, but when I first got it, it was it was just literally just a huge gift, and I read it, and I went, "Oh my god, Dario, thank you so much." Um, and I re- had immense fun recording it, and then it got released, and then I I didn't really think anything of it until much later and Dario said it's a play do you want to do it and it was like ah! <laughs> break out the coloured markers you've got a full full script oh god it. yes yes <laughs> <laughs> they were my script was colour-coded with different voices honestly oh, that's brilliant so on the other side of of the the play um Katie you played yeah. Tilly, and you know she sometimes feels like the antagonist in the early scenes, but ultimately she carries a lot of the emotional sort of punch of the play. Mm. What appealed to you most about playing her, and you know, how do you balance a, a, a character like that whom the audience have to change their minds about over the course of the, of the play? Well, I, I think it, it, it helps that she's, I mean, she's a very well-written character, I would say. 
um even reading it for the first time the, the first few lines you get from her she seems a little bit dismissive of her mum she keeps talking about have you been paid for this have you been paid for that she seems very money orientated all the time a little bit bossy here and there telling her what to do a little bit you know oh god she's at it again um but then carrying on reading the play and sort of hearing what the other characters say and then how she interacts with her mum later you do kind of soften to her I think there is there's always a little element of bias I think when you're playing someone you do always want to find a little connection to them you do feel a little bit protective of them um, and you probably give them a bit more leeway than you would do if it was just an, a normal person so there is that element anyway where you do sort of you want to make sure that you you protect them and you want to show them in a nice way um but it's it's making sure that you don't over protect them and don't sort of act like she's absolutely fine all the way through because then it's not really realistic you're kind of giving away the ending to it really but I mean she does that moment that um Dario wrote where she shows herself to be quite vulnerable I think people generally connect with that in someone you can sort of be dead against a, a character and then you see them let their guard down for a minute and be a bit vulnerable and people tend to warm to them at that point um so just having that in there I think that kind of helped make her sort of more of a well-rounded character um and I I mean sort of it, it sounds really soppy as well but one of the things that attracted me as well was working with Erica because I well yeah because Erica's Erica's amazing and we kept being cast in things and we never quite got to do anything we yes. kept being cast opposite <laughs> we did um we did this audio uh thing of Lady Windermere's fan and we had this you know this emotional scene and it was great and I loved it and we didn't get to do it and I was really frustrated and I was like oh that would have been so good um, so yeah, that was part of it as well. Sort of reading it and thinking, oh, I finally get to you know to actually act with Erica. She's incredible. Oh, so yeah, you. that was thank part you. of it. But yeah, it was lovely. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> Sounds like a great opportunity, Dario. It probably hasn't escaped anybody's notice that this had to be rehearsed and performed while under COVID restrictions. So, I mean, apart from just getting you know being able to get people in the same room what sort of working practices were you following um you know was the play written with these sort of practical considerations in mind it wasn't really written with that in mind i think actually it was a, a quite a nice coincidence that structurally i think that story can only really work as a series of two-handers because you have joyce telling her story in a very uh, it's very intimate way really so it, it needs to be one-to-one -one. Um, and that goes back to the very original ideas I'd had pre-COVID, although the I think the structure was quite different in the original notes. It was Joyce talking to a new agent and having to sort of fill him in about her career rather than, as it ends up, it's her getting ready for a performance in her dressing room and people visiting her. Um, but inherently, it's not an idea that needs a, a stage full of actors. So actually, by coincidence, it was already quite COVID friendly. I think the only thing we substantially changed was a scene where you have three characters, including Joyce, fighting over a microphone in a radio studio and if you go and look at photos or occasionally there are bits of film of uh, shows like the navy lark or the goon show or round the horn they were often actors all crammed around one microphone and uh, you know basically trying to elbow each other out of the way 
that wasn't terribly COVID friendly, so we changed that um, to be uh, they were struggling over two microphones. So two actors had a microphone each, and Joyce just had to bounce between the two, and that was a, a bit safer. Um, otherwise, I think it was just a case of being careful to avoid physical contact, really. And it's actually only near the end of the play where that becomes a little uh, trickier to negotiate. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in due course. Um, in terms of the rehearsals and the process, uh, we were all masked up, obviously. Uh, we were all taking lateral flow tests before each rehearsal, so nose swabs all round. <laughs> uh, we kept our one metre plus distancing. And again, it's only really near the end of the play where we were getting close to breaking that but then if you look at what some other theatre companies were doing at the same time uh, I have to say I think we were very responsible I've seen <laughs> all sorts of clips of professional companies doing acrobatics and jumping on one another so actually I think we were very very restrained um, so and, and obviously those things you know we would rehearse obeying social distancing and it would only be right at the end of the rehearsal process where we would break it and it was only very fleeting moments you know obviously we weren't going to write a scene where two characters had to be nose to nose for any length of time um so uh, and then when we performed we had a socially distanced audience which was a, a little odd but we kind of got used to it the the venue's capacity was reduced so that we uh you know could make sure we weren't uh, sort of crowding people in uh we had all the doors and windows open so it was a challenge uh, naturally it was it's a different way of working but actually i have to say we i think everyone approached it with a lot of humor and that that helps everyone collectively navigate a way through it um, because mm. as long as you can have a laugh about it uh, you can cope with just about anything yeah definitely I mean it's always challenging um, but yeah you mentioned earlier on that towards the end of things things um, start getting closer Erica and Katie you both have a very emotional scene together at the end of the play you know how did you find that rehearsing that under the sort of restrictions that you had to obey well, I mean, we started off, originally we were doing all the rehearsals by Zoom, so uh, it was fine. You know, we didn't get anywhere near each other. It was okay. <laughs> you were just being emotional in your own house wasn't a problem. Um, and then, and then sort of when we did start rehearsing in person, there were a couple of moments, I think, where it was kind of like, how close, how close can I get? Because in the scene, for anyone who hasn't seen it sort of you know the the two characters get quite emotional and most people when they get emotional you do kind of want to touch them or hug them or comfort them or something like that um and obviously we couldn't do that <laughs> so we kind of had to find a, a different way to show that connection and and I think in mm. in in my head I was kind of resorted to that very sort of British mustn't mustn't show too much fuss you know that that's sort of like northern yeah. oh no we must mustn't bother people no no got 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 to, got to keep it in and so i kind of uh I instead of a i can't touch you because it's covid it's more a case of well you know we we, we just don't really do that sort of of, of thing and um funny that the lady windermere's fan um comes over us again because in that emotional scene I remember distinctly there's a stage direction in the Oscar Wilde script which is where um spoiler mother and daughter are emoting over each other and there's actually a stage direction that says she goes <laughs> she wants to hug but can't and mm. uh, having done Lady Windermere's fan I remembered that and it was like uh, this is what this is how we've got to play it and there was a lot of kind of, I was sitting on the chair, you were kneeling, sobbing your eyes out, and, and just that kind of 
there's a move that I do, which is just an ever so slight lean, and my hand moves over the like the back of the chair towards you, but doesn't go any further. And there was one bit; it was either in rehearsal mm-hmm. or performance. Do you remember this, Katie? Where you put your hand up onto the chair next to mine, and then we both sort of froze and looked at each other and went, oh my God, our hands are nearly touching. What do we do? What do we do? And then the alarm went off. (laughs) But there was that kind of like moment where we just sort of like like froze. But yeah, there was that um, emotional, there was that physical distance, but I think we still managed to get that emotional connection and I think the, the the loveliest thing that I remember about that scene is that we're both holding we've both been holding in all of these emotions for, for so long as characters and at the end you know you've got your tears and, and you're sitting there and I'm just I'm sitting there watching you wait for you to, to kind of get it back together and calm down and then there was a, there was just a moment where you just raised your head and looked at me and we both kind of had that little half chuckle and smile mm. and that awkward when when people have been upset and you go yeah oh, we're okay are, are, now. are we, we, are we okay can we move on now and we both kind of had that we yeah. both had that shared look and I suppose for for me that was like the equivalent of the hug if you like because mm. we both looked at each other and it was yeah. like right and then and then it's back to business let's get on I'll get you ready yeah. And it was like, yes, yes, come on then. And, and and that was it. And that was lovely. In fact, the closest you probably did get was where you helped me put my costume on. I remember often sort of doing things like grabbing my dress and things, but lots of kind of things to go. I clearly, I'm fighting against hold of like showing emotion because it's not yeah. the dumb thing, which I'm holding it together here. This is not, I'm not going to get emotional. And then there's, there's one of the production else. photos yeah. that just captures yeah. it beautifully because I can see, I can see I'm doing my lean because there, the, the, mm. there's a point where, where we're talking about the tape recorder and and um, and uh, dad and everything, and then when it goes into it, and there's there's a moment where 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 you're kind of talking about it, and I just leant forward ever so slightly, and, and Dario captured it in one of the production photos. I think it's one of my favourite photos, and it's of you and I together, yeah. in and it oh yeah, it's lovely, and yes, it's lovely being able to work with you too. <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, together apart. Oh, <laughs> the feels, the feels. <laughs> Dario needs to write something now where, you know, we can do something else together now. Yes. Yeah, well, what next well, next we need a, a 30 30 person group group musical number all on stage together. <laughs> <laughs> but all be right, British and emotionally distanced about it. Yes. <laughs> Not enjoying it at all. The occasional cut. Right. Well, talking of uh, talking of stage, Erica, you're as Joyce. You're on stage entirely the way through the the entire production from before the curtain, uh, right the way through to the end, and that's got songs and lots of physicality and going through the whole emotional range. I mean, how do you approach a project like this and you know, maintain your stamina all the way through the production? Oh, yes, that's a bigger question. Um, Yes, stamina, I think, is the key and uh, being able to to pace yourself, um, to know the show inside out so that you know where you can, where you need to place your energy. Um, Because it's also, it's, it's very tiring playing someone elderly as well because um, I was playing someone who's 76. 
So there's a different physicality there from my own very youthful appearance, I should say. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I've got a portrait somewhere in an attic. Um, I, I so playing pl- playing with that with the, with the physicality and the control of that. So I had to you know hunching myself over slightly the shuffling of the feet the very deliberate way that she would grab onto things sometimes or pick things up um like there was a, a an occasional shake of her hands sometimes to do with the natural nerves that she had before her own show um so there were all of these things that I was putting into the performance that had to be very very uh obviously appear spontaneous and and natural as possible but they were all very very deliberate choices from an actor's point of view and so I had different ways of playing her and I remember asking Dario so I could try to get the delineation in my own head is that when she is going um sort of off on one in her own head you know is that almost like a a a a younger version of herself as she's reminiscing as she's remembering and and Dario was sort of explaining to me that it was um, it was her own performance at that time, so she is in the present. Um, but I I think in also to to help me with the performances, I kind of cheated that. Sorry, Dario, I I kind of cheated that a little bit. And in my head, I pitched those moments where she is forward as playing herself with a younger energy. So, for example, when she does Cockney Carol or when she's doing After the Ball. Um, I was able to have that sort of uh, slightly younger edge that allowed me to be a bit more freer in my movements, which then allows me to be able to sing correctly. So I'm not, uh, because as Joyce being older, there is a deliberate constriction in in my chest um, and, and the way in which she breathes is different as how I would do as a singer. So I did sort of cheat it slightly when I came to perform the songs in the fact that when I stood downstage, I was able to, I stood a bit more upright, um, I was a bit more expansive and I allowed myself the the, the breath in order to be able to, to sing, especially those high notes as well. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I didn't write it. <laughs> and I even asked you to bring it down. <laughs> and thank you very much for bringing the key down as well because that allowed me to sing in character as well. That was another way of doing it is also to keep the energy is rather than seeing it beautifully spot on point in the original key in which it was written, we, we, we transposed it down slightly so that I could effectively sing in character and still sound like Joyce, but also sound good singing as well. Um, for the physicality, I think, as Dario mentioned, it was the bit with the microphones that was the most physical. And again, I played, because that was a dream sequence entirely, I played her as that age. So the first bit is me running around looking for my script. And also I wanted to show the audience that this is something different as well. And a way of doing that is, again, by physicality. So um, vocally and physically, I had different versions of Joyce in my head. So I had old Joyce who behaved a certain way, had a certain breath, had a certain um, tone to her voice. And then I had young Joyce. Again, this is me highlighting my script in different ways. I had younger Joyce, whose range was ever so slightly higher, who was a bit more sprightly, uh, a bit more cheeky, definitely, as well. So all of these things I kind of put into it. And I had to give myself, as an actor, almost like a mental map of where these placements were. And that's just Joyce. I was playing, I think I counted up, I was playing 20 characters as well and taking on their voices and their physical tics that these characters and people that she'd met 
some were only flashes you only get like one line of like a, a foreman from when she was a young girl working in a factory and then others have their own sort of monologues themselves as well as the characters that she's played so you've got the actor playing the character so you've got me as an actor playing an actor playing their own character so all of these little things I had to kind of break up inside my head and and map on my script and then the show as a whole needs to have that coherent flow so as I'm moving through it it's very natural for me to be able to switch and change from character to character to character and it's not stilted and it feels it feels right and that all of these characters are coming from a very organic place um, so that's kind of how I had to look at it uh, how I got through it <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I just used to come off stage and there would be Katie would very kindly hand me a glass of water and I would neck that and they'd be like oh my god we got through and it felt so fast it was so fast honestly you talk about it being over an hour it felt like it, it flashed through in the blink of an eye it really really did um and I think I, I allowed myself to to on that final moment where I uh, elegantly glided off stage after my beautiful death um that's kind of when I allowed everything to kind of relax and float and everything everything that had been kind of weighing down on Joyce was was gone um so I was able to kind of do that do that again kind of revert to this sort of free spirit if you like but yeah it was um a lot of discipline I think uh in order to to maintain that but as I say at the same time trying to maintain the the spontaneity of it that these characters she's literally just plucking out of her head and out of her memory and because she is so good at what she does she's able to turn it on and off just like that so that's my very very long-winded actors and next week on in the actor studio with <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think you've earned your glass of dinner <laughs> i've got some whiskey don't worry <laughs>